We were just listening to the start of the podcast there, and we were not looking at the mess, we were just looking at the wonderful Alan Jones on the guitar. For one reason or another, that's how we know Alan Jones. Alan Jones, welcome to The Journey. Thank you very much, my friend. Uh, yeah, the, the video I think you've just seen was me at the start of lockdown last year, uh, COVID lockdown, thinking I better get the guitar out and have a play because I've got nothing else better to do. And I just didn't think of the background. I just played. <laughs> so there we go. Thank you too. <laughs> so now I've known you, I'm not going to say how many years, because that'd be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um. I've known you for many skills, and this is one reason why. And people have been pouring their love for you because I started a group during lockdown for Paul School. And right. this, is, this is what I wanted to do in lockdown because there hasn't been a you know proper proper group for Paul School. And this is you've been a teacher at Paul School. For I don't know how many years you started full school as a teacher. Since when? That's a really good question. I, I you see, I'm getting so old now. I forget all the dates. Um, but I will say I was at Paul School for about twenty years, I think. And uh, then I left Paul School to do other things, which we'll talk about in a minute. And prior to being at Paul School, I was teaching in South East London. Um, I'm working on other kinds of fun projects, which we may or may not go into in this talk. So, yeah, most of my career has been teaching in some form or another. Um, but as you know, David, I've taken the side sideways routes into music, performance, uh, art, um, all kinds of other things. And um, so, yeah, that's where we are now, I think. And um, I, I don't know, I think I think it's really interesting to have done so many different things, not necessarily become brilliant at any one of them. Uh, I've just got so many interests. I think somebody called me a, a Renaissance man once. Uh, that I'm yeah. interested in everything from music to, to science and, uh, and psychology to playing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just amazing. And like I said, I started the Paul School Group, like I said, because Paul School, some people love it, some people hated it. Mm-hmm. And you know that from a teacher's point of view, you know, students came to you because they loved it, they hated it. <laughs> now, now, you know, when I first came to Paul's school, I had my ups and downs. And what I say in my podcasts are my own feelings. And what I share and what people share is my own thoughts and their thoughts. And Putting it nicely, I didn't expect Paul School Group to take off so big. Mm-hmm. Within a week, and Melissa is in the background as well, and she will tell you how big it took off mm-hmm. within a week. It reached over a thousand within a week. That's good, isn't it? And it's now over 3,000 followers. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, I think. Paul School was a very important chapter in, in my life. I tend to see my life in terms of chapters, as in a, a story, which I guess while we're talking. And Paul School was a very important chapter because I moved down from London um, to Cornwall. And actually, I was only meant to be at Paul School, which is a say in Cornwall, for a term. 
that's all I was employed for. Um, I'd given up entertainment work in London, wanted to move to, to Cornwall for personal reasons, got the job at Pool School, lived right next door to Pool School in what was known uh, gleefully as Radon House, because uh, the radon gas is that place. Um, and then, I don't know, after the first term, they kind of said, would I stay? And then I stayed for a number of years, <laughs> which included those years of, of seeing your your you and your classmates and working in a variety of roles. Initially, I was hired as head of as geography, then I get head of geography, and then uh, ended up teaching um, PSHE, which is social education and, uh, and also drama. And um, that played to all the different things I was interested in. And then the school pointed me as teacher plus counsellor. So I was the school counsellor as well, mm. which is where some of the things that you allude to about people coming to tell me whether they like the school or not in my little yeah. room. <laughs> but, you know, for love of the pupils that, the ex-pupils in the generation that knew you, oh, I love Alan, I love Alan. Oh. Send my wishes to Alan. It's been inundated. Send my wishes to Alan. I can't wait to hear Alan's interview. You oh. know, the you has been immense. So yeah. when I upload this, it'd be amazing to see the feedback from them to see. There's oh. smiles and ear their feedback because yeah well look if you're going to be watching this and you are one of my ex students at Paul uh, hello much love back to you guys because you know I think that um, not only was Paul's school important to me in that in that way but also it's personally important because I learned a lot from so many of you guys um, and that's dead true and in fact I still bump into ex pupils in the town when I walk around the town, when I'm allowed to walk around the town out of COVID. And I've got several of the uh, pupils on Facebook and they drop me lines from there to now and again. So it's great to hear from you guys. And Paul was very special. And of course, as you know, David, Paul brought me into contact with another character that was also loved by the, the, the pupils. And that was Chris James, the late Chris James. Yeah, and sadly missed because obviously he was talented in this unique way because he brought the Cornish language to the medium for music as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris um, sadly passed away a number of years ago. Um, I won't go into those details. Any of you know will know what they were. But, you know, Chris was a Cornish bard. He was recognised uh, for his contributions to the Cornish art world. Um, and he was he was a, pri a songwriter, a, a winning prize a prize winner at uh, a song for Cornwall which was the uh, Lorinda Perrin festivals and he wrote a song for that and then Chris taught music in in Paul's school and that's where I sort of bumped into him we started to work on musicals together and then that led to us playing and, and performing as a Hannon yeah which is Cornish for the word from us and um, in and in the audio podcast we will feature a track or two yeah. Do you see the seas complaining and complaining while it's raining? Did you hear it morning in the driftwood? When the surf woke up and sighed The chaps screamed on the sand 
and the foam flew over land, and the seas were dark on the tin bar at the rising of the tide. I gave my lad a token when he left me, and I had broken to mind him of old Padstow town where loving souls abide. It was a ring with these words set, all around can love forget. And I watched him pass the Dunbar with the outward turning tide. Do you hear the seas complaining and complaining while it's rain? And a ship has never crossed the bar from the purple seas outside. And down the shelving sands where we once were holding hands. Alone I watched the Dunbar and the rising of the tide. One day it was four days after, and the harbour girls with laughter, so soft and wild as seagulls when they're playing sea and hide. Took me out, the tide was lower than had ever been before, and we rang across the dune bar, all white and shining wide. Do you see the seas complaining and complaining while it's raining? Do you hear it mourn in the driftwood? When the surf woke up and sighed When the chaff screamed on the sand And the foam flew over land And the seas blew dark on the dunbar At the rising of the tide I saw a thing there shining Where the long wet weeds were twining Around the crimson scallop And a gold ring lay inside And around its rim was set The words can never forget and there upon the doom bar I knelt and sobbed and cried. Do you hear the seas complaining and complaining while it's raining? And the ship has never crossed the bar from the purple seas outside. And down the shelving sands where we once went holding hands. Alone I watched the doom bar and the rise of the tide. college as well yeah. you did magic because you're part of the magic circle yes um you're pagan you are a multi-talented um illusionist you are i'm trying to remember out the top of my head you're a broadcaster you are an author 
um, <laughs> you can stop me if you want, but you are. No, no, I, I'm, I'm just amazed that I'm doing all this. <laughs> you are, you, you've done everything. Pretty I, much. Pretty much. You know, you've done everything in your life, what you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, when I left Paul over the years, you, you know, I left Paul in 2000. Um, he's asking for a coffee cup. I will have a slip. Yeah. I have coffee. God, I have coffee. Um, so I left school in 2000. I did see you once or twice, I think, after I left Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost contact. I did a few things wrong, which you heard about. Mm-hmm. And I admit I did things wrong. People probably who know me know I did things wrong. I lost contact. You saw me again in 2010. That was that at the that was at the Magic Marathon, wasn't it? Yeah, where where you was doing it online, twenty four hour. <laughs> it was nuts, wasn't it? That it was, was in, that was interesting. Yeah, it was online and in shop. Uh, close-up magic performance to raise money for charity and it was 24 which was hours. Amazing. Which was amazing. That was great. And I remember seeing you on a bus. You was going to Falmouth that day and you said, I'm going to Falmouth. I'm doing a 24-hour marathon for magic. And I'm thinking, I was going to, that going to happen. And you said, it will happen. It worked for the first half hours on stream. Yeah. And it's been rent down. Yeah, that's right. Not, then, my, not my fault. Was it your fault? No. But it, um, it carried on in the shop and we had a few people sitting in there, as you know. So we managed to get going. It was good fun. And did you still have contact with Kenny? A little bit. I mean, I lost contact with Kenny ages ago. Um, we've bumped into each other once or twice since, but nothing that. I think our past just went different ways. He um, was at the magic business, really good magic business called Kerno Magic, I think it was. And then he uh, he moved on to other things, being the entrepreneur that he was. But it was about that time at, um, at, at with Kenny in the shop that I did that Houdini thing that uh, uh, people may or may not remember. It was to celebrate the 80th anniversary of Houdini's death. I was chained up and thrown into the harbour at Falmouth <laughs> to try to escape, and that was that was a, a fun period as well because it was all the, the preparation for that. And, and also, you did it at Cambrai Leisure Centre as well. I did. We, we that was because the BBC wanted to film it. Didn't couldn't make they they got in a, a traffic jam so it went out on BBC Radio but this is a visual thing so somebody wanted to film it again and then we, we did it at Cambrai Leisure Centre because I I refused to get back in the harbour water again because it was too cold so a week later we went and did the whole thing in the swimming pool and the diving pool which mm. was warmer <laughs> and then um, you started being part of the community a bit more. By being part of Penrith Community Radio, yeah. Now that 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 came about in a really interesting. I'd left Paul School by then. I was actually doing what I tend to do now, which is coaching and uh, helping people psychotherapy with psychotherapy and helping businesses with communication skills. And um, I bumped into the guy that was actually setting up Penrith Community Radio at a coffee morning and he just said come round to the studio and he, I, I did and so I was there with Penrith Community Radio which at the time was 
not on air. It was a pod. It was a sort of uh, internet radio station. So right from the start there, and then eventually we got the FM license and uh, um, and then it became Coast FM and I was a director of that for a while. And as you know, that David, because you were involved too, just enjoying the broadcasting. Um, and in fact, at one stage was actually in the station four or five days a week till really late because you were there really late with me, weren't you, on some nights? We used to do a show called The Real Twilight Zone, which was all to do with the weird stuff. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. We used to do the show sort of almost till midnight, I think, and then at midnight By the time we, we uploaded it. It was one, two o'clock. One o'clock, two o'clock, one in. So they were. That was crazy times. That was a you know. And I was at Penrith Radio for about 10, 11 years, I think, uh, as it became uh, Coast FM. And then, well, you you know, because you joined us along and you came along the right for the ride with Coast FM, and you did so much stuff there as well. Mm. Um, it was a, it was a good time. It was a good good experience. Yeah. And some good people and, you know, people sadly missed as well because, you know, oh. characters that we love, you know, and yeah. I will say one person that we do love and miss muchly, and that is Pat Quayle. Pat you know. Quayle. What a lady. I what know. an incredible story she had to tell. Mm. Um, but I've actually recently found out some of the old poetry and pieces show that we did with Pat. Um, which I might, might send you a copy, have a, a listen. Um, but it's good. You know, the, the radio thing, though, has been in my, I'll say in my blood for a long time. You may or may not know this, I can't remember if I ever told you, but when I was a student in Staffordshire, um, I'm not hoping I'll get too much in trouble for this, but we started a pirate radio station next to the university, which was um, basically it's called Radio Bits and Pieces. We had a guy that was really good with electronics and he actually built the stuff. And, and then... Um, they wanted a DJ presenter. And at the time I was young and thought I was slick. And so I was uh, BJ, the DJ, your late night radio presenter for <laughs> Bits and Pieces Radio. So I did that. And that was really fun. And that 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 went on for a, not quite a year, but several months until we got rather nervous about the Ofcom, as was, um, mm. finding us down, <laughs> shutting us down. And so we, we came off air. Um, mm. But yeah, Pat had a load of stories to tell, and oh, yeah, she had experience of stage, TV, telling yeah. stories. Yeah, sure. You know, I found on YouTube one of her um, TV shows that she appeared in. I forgot where it was. It was based in Somerset. The um, I forgot it's called off the top of my head, but yeah. it's when it was in Somerset, and she was, you know. It, amazing yeah well pat would tell you and and you know that one of her claims to fame is she was a um a bit part actress on uh, a, a number of movies but on one of them it starred robert redford and it was when robert redford was a bit younger and she actually got to kiss robert redford and that was one of her <laughs> favorite stories but you know pat, as far apart from being a an actress or an actor let's bit the yeah, politically correct actor, apart from being a poet and a singer and a, a playwright and a, an author. I mean, she was also a very powerful animal activist and she was actually into animal rights. Um, everything from hunt sabotage right the way through to um, protecting horses at Grand Nationals and things like that. Yeah. So she was a, 
a very passionate lady and uh, she was a joy to be with. Yeah, and that's why I sadly miss her so much because mm. she was that powerful. Yes. So, growing up, what was your biggest inspiration of all time? <gasps> what a question! <laughs> of all time. I tell you what, I, I, I've got a number of people that inspired me right the way back. Um, I'll, I'll share a story that said, when I was at school, um, you may or may not believe this, um, but I was not very good uh, in terms of academic stuff. I was okay, I complied and I bent the rules a bit. But I, out of school, I got the equivalent of what we now consider to be one really bad GCSE. Right? Mm. That's all I got from school. And I went to... A technical college to redo my what were at the time O levels, um, and I met three characters at the, the college. Uh, there was a guy called Ian Macklin, there was a guy called uh, Twig, and I never knew his first name, Mr. Twig. And then there was another guy whose name just I mean, escapes me at the moment. I'll come back to him in a sec. But one was a geologist, that was Ian Macklin. He looked a bit like Leo Sayer. Mr. Twig was a geography teacher. And the other guy, which oh, I'm annoyed that I forgot his name now, was a psychologist. And it was those three guys that when I went to, to university turned me on to the fact, A, I could learn and B, there was some really cool stuff out there. So my focus was geology and psychology, uh, a weird mix. And that influenced me to, to, to learn this stuff. And then I learned the stuff and found I could learn it because they helped me to learn. And then I went to university and did geology. The, the psychologist wanted me to do psychology, the geologist wanted me to do geology, so I ended up doing geology. And it's really funny that uh, I've come back full circle now to psychology. So I've done the kind of the rocks and the ground stuff to rocks in the head through a very interesting and uh, serpentine route. Um, uh, so, yeah, the geology is still with me. The, the, the earth sciences are still with me. I'm fascinated by all of that. But the psychologist has come back and taken over, really. Mm. Um, Cocker, Joe Cocker, that was the uh, psychologist teacher. And they were really uh, inspirational at those times. And then, of course, when you move on, other people popping in and out of your life is inspiring you. I read, and I know you're going to like this guy, I read a lot of Carl Sagan <laughs> when I was a student. And Carl Sagan is another one of those characters that just is so inspirational with the way he was thinking, with his attitude to life. Um, he was a confirmed, uh, well, he, he, not really atheist, even more agnostic. He just said that he didn't know whether there was a God or not, but he was such a spiritual guy in the way that he spoke about the universe. And if you've not read A Pale Blue Dot, you need to. And if you've not seen the series Cosmos that he made, and I'm feeding right into David's interest here because I know that that's what we share. Yeah. So Carl Sagan was a, a big influence. And then it moves on. I started to get into magic and I was influenced by a guy called Eugene Berger, who fortunately I met several times and worked with, which was a real thing. And I was invited to do a masterclass with Eugene Berger where I was teaching on the same masterclass that he was teaching on. Another guy called Jeff McBride, who uh, again, been looking to him. And so, yeah, all these people have, have fed me bits, like a tapestry of things that I was interested in at the right time. And um, it's all of that that makes any one of us interesting, isn't it? It's the people that we've been inspired by. Our lives are sort of reflections and tapestries of the things that we've been inspired by and the people we've uh, admired. And so that's it, really. 
and it's the little pieces that make the bigger picture. Definitely, and, and makes makes us all interesting people because not no one of us is one dimensional. We're all multi dimensional. Our experiences, you know, you without going too much, you mentioned earlier that you. Uh, when you left school, you did some things that, that weren't right or whatever. I'm not judging those things, those are your words. But actually, all of those experiences made you who you are, right? Mm. The fact that you brought them back and you, you moved on uh, and you learned from them. That's what that's what all, all of us do if we're being honest with ourselves. Well, that was a fear in me because, as you know, I'm now in America and you gave me the blessing, which many people didn't. But I was scared with that background of what I did in the past it would affect mm. me coming to America. But luckily, mm. I'm not saying your background as a psychologist or anything out, but when I had to see the psychologist in London to come here, mm. I was afraid that would hold me back. But they luckily said, how soon would you want to be with you? <laughs> they did. I, he said, they did. Uh, she said literally, um, okay, this, 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 and she took every note, and then at the end she said, how soon would you want to be with your wife? I said, sooner than later. She said, okay, see what I can do. End of the week, the next week, she's, I had a letter back, okay, thank you. And <laughs> a week later, I was, you can go to America. That's brilliant. I, I, I think I, I think that, sto that story itself, your story, is, is quite a fascinating story and an amazing story. But here's the thing, we are all, uh, and I'm talking about all of us now, uh, have a potential critic inside of us that wants to judge other people. And that's what I think is worth us all keeping in check. You know, um, you mentioned you want to come to America and some people will say, we're not as positive as others. Let's put it that way. Uh, and my attitude to life has always been, and you know from school, is that if somebody truly wants to do something, then let's help them do it and let's let's give them the questions let's give them the sort of the the pros and cons and let them explore them but don't tell them what to do because we all have to make our own life and we all have to make our own decisions and we have to accept individual responsibility for all the things that we've done and once you get that right everything else seems to fall into place i think because you knew from the outset when you knew i first met melissa my outset was determined to follow my dream and yeah. I was not wanting to deliberately push away from Cornwall, push away from what I knew was the safe boundaries. I was happy, and I knew I was happy. I just had to show that progression was ready for me. And I, I just didn't jump straight away, because you know from past experiences in my life, I have jumped and made nearly fatal mistakes where I nearly lost everything. But... <laughs> I think it's interesting when you when we get when any of one of us gets to a position to jump anywhere, one of the things to ask ourselves is are we trying to jump away from a problem or are we trying to jump into something we really want? And I think that uh, I know that I in the past have moved away from things because I've been scared by them or just didn't want them, but I've also stepped into the things I wanted to do. And that thing about wanting to jump needs sometimes for us to be balanced a little bit. And that's where, you know, in the past I've had, and I guess you have too, that people you could just bounce an idea off without being criticised, without sort of being told that was a daft idea, and just go, okay, what about this? Have you thought about this? That kind of very calm, pragmatic, non-judgmental approach to somebody's dream. Because, you know, we've all got dreams, and 
dreams are so many so easy to squash right if if you mention your dream to some people they would do their best to talk you out of your dream and it's mostly because they're envious that you've got a dream and they haven't right yeah. you've got a happy situation now you've got some council and that yeah. in office making a noise now <laughs> yes i know i should have shut the door <laughs> uh, it's okay i see <laughs> but the point is it's a happy medium for you in your situation now. You felt so, I'm not saying you've been isolated in your own self, but your own way of being, you know, for so long you've been doing things independently. Mm. Now you're doing things with someone mm. and that is a good thing for you. I Definitely. Think, and you feel better for it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and here's the thing. Um because I remember talking about this ages ago to you a long, long time ago before the radio and things. But, you know, you if you want to be with somebody in a relationship, the biggest mistake is to assume that you have to become that other person. Um, there's a wonderful quote by a guy called uh, Cahill Gobran, who's uh, a Sufi poet. And he, he says that two trees can't grow in each other's shadow, which if we look at that in relationship wise, what it means is that, You've got to be a person who knows yourself before you can take anything to a relationship. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're using the other person to fill in a gap for you. Now, some relationships like that, relationships like that can work, but many don't. Um, so you've got to be, as you were saying, kind of at peace with yourself before you can necessarily bring uh, yourself to a relationship that is equal and balanced. Of course, in relationships, people heal. People can get better and get stronger together. But they're still, they're not sort of like symb uh, sort of symbiotic relationship. It's a partnership. Uh, one doesn't depend upon the other, but just wants to be with the other. And there's a big difference, I think. Yeah. But um, well, I remember going on to another thing. I remember being part of a podcast in the early days of me doing podcasts because someone invited me. And they talked about, you know, me being inspiring. And I remember they talked about certain words and I remember the words you taught me positive mental attitude yeah and I used the words that you taught me about positive yeah. mental attitude and I said about you inspiring me yeah. so I was using what you taught me yeah. so that is what I learned <laughs> that's what we all do my friend you know uh, I didn't invent the phrase positive mental attitude but I learned it from some other people who were using it and oh, yeah. but it's what you shared to me yeah. Yeah. what I said to them. exactly and I, I think that's it we can take the good words and the good ideas and we don't need ownership of them but we just need to share them when we share these good words with other people it can help them and I think you know one of my things about positive mental attitude it's you did something more than that okay you have positive mental attitude and then you did something action positive mental attitude plus action means that you can move towards your dreams but if you don't have action you tend to become a person who just sits there and wishes for something to happen, but you took action. And that's the thing I think that you need to be celebrated for, my friend. Okay. So going forward, what would you say to anyone, ex excluding students? Right. What would you say to anyone watching this today? All right. Uh, anybody watching this today, if you want something in your life, whatever that is, work on yourself in order to move yourself towards the thing that you want okay um, and I think it starts with something really simple it starts with these things that we can call values 
what we believe and our attitudes to ourselves are really important. So work on those. And then then a tip from uh, the title of my book. There you go. My book, the, the, my book is called The Secret to Your Future History, which is available at Amazon and all kinds of places. But that book is about creating a future from the future. So if you want to achieve something, imagine you've already achieved it and work backwards from it. And the reason that that works um, is because if we see what we want and create it in our minds, we can then track back to where we are now at every single step. And that phrase actually comes from a very famous American uh, sports person. Um, there was a gentleman in the 1960s um, called Muhammad Ali, uh, or was Cassius Clay when he fought in the Olympics. Uh, but as many of you will know, was a heavyweight boxer, um, probably one of the greatest boxers. Uh, big guy, danced on his feet, had this wonderful way of, of taunting and psyching himself up by you know, saying things like, Muhammad Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and you're going down in round three. And in his first 20-odd professional fights, he won most of them on, in the round that he had predicted before the fight. And a reporter said to him, you know, how come you can do that, Mohammed? And he said, it's because I've got a future history. And what he meant by that is he'd seen him winning in that round at that point. He'd seen him winning uh, in, in, a, in a visualization and in in not just a, a simple um, meditation, but in a kind of full sensory based movie of the future he was going to live and then that kept him going through his training because he hated training uh, and that kept him going through his training and therefore when he stood to the test and the the fight itself he was more able psychologically emotionally and physically to achieve his goal so i would say to anybody now set yourself some future histories what is it you want to achieve don't let anybody put you back down. Surround yourself with people that will support you. Yeah. And then really work towards it. Positive mental attitude plus application leads to your future history. Wow. <laughs> Alan Jones, it's been a pleasure, even though I know all your history, future, uh, beginning, whatever. Yeah. Thank you for being part of the journey. Thank you very much. And bless you all. Thank you.
That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging. Hosted by David Hackett. Produced by Melissa Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon. Close your eyes.